Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh God, open our ears that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, I know a good number of you were with us, some of you weren't. Last, and for those of you who weren't, I'm going to do my best to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what we did last Sunday. It was unique and very special. Last Sunday we had an extraordinary time of worship in the afternoon because the Chicago Marathon runs right by here and we have to have church in the afternoon on one day a year. Um, And that extraordinary time of worship included a time of improvised singing. And, And that improvised singing, in turn, was centered around kids and adults taking turns, reading phrases from Psalm 86, which we decided to bring back this morning as our call to worship. Kids and adults would take turns reading from Psalm 86 while around them there was improvised singing and improvised music. It was wonderful. Uh, The improvised singing was was led by Davin and Molly. Uh, Ben was there on guitar. Uh, Tim couldn't be with us, so Jason Toff came and played percussion. It's really, really hard to explain what this was like. Um, It was awesome. It was lovely. And in Davin's own words, he encouraged us to acknowledge that it was a little bit awkward at times. (laughs) I got to thinking about that, and I appreciated him calling that out. But really, what is it that you want out of life? If you could say at the end of any day, it was awesome, it was lovely. It was memorable, and it was a little bit awkward. (laughs) I mean, isn't that life? Come on. Can't want more than that. Anyway, while the music and the singing was going on, as I mentioned, the words of Psalm 86, particularly this phrase from Psalm 86, 
Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. You alone are God. That phrase in particular from the psalm, it was resonating in the room as kids and adults took a turn reading and intoning the psalm in their unique voices. I'm sure each person experienced this differently. But for me, and in an important sense, this homily is a response, one preacher's response to last Sunday. For me, the picture of the nations of the earth Glorifying God in worship. I mean, especially when you listen to the news, right? This this scope of universal salvation that that is in Scripture, this, this, this magnificent picture that we just saw in Revelation. It's it's hard to lean into that hope sometimes, many times. But for me, as young people and old people and people in between were picking up that microphone and those verses from Psalm 86 were resonating in the room. I could sense the Spirit's presence and for me anyway, those words from Psalm 86 about the nations coming to glorify God They became for me an anthem, an anthem of stubborn hope. As the Spirit reminded me that God is tireless. God is tireless in extending His love to all people. This world and its peoples are loved by God, who is our creator and our redeemer. And no matter how hard we try to forget God's love, God has not forgotten us. God has not grown distant from us. God is near, and his promises are sure. And to remember that, we need to remind each other in worship. And more importantly, we all need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit in worship that God has not grown distant from us, nor have his promises weakened over time. The hoped-for future that the psalmist imagines, where the nations glorify God in worship, that hope comes into even sharper focus when St. John, I'm going to use the name that's sometimes used of St. John because I think it sounds so good. And we had the banjo today, and the name fits with the banjo. And how can you be sad when there's banjo music, said Steve Martin. And I wonder, did Steve Martin ever hear Ralph Stanley do a murder ballad, the banjo, when he said that? St. John the Revelator. That's the name. 
St. John the Revelator gives us a picture, an image of the world to come, where violence, selfishness, and every enemy of human flourishing is vanquished. Instead of suffering and misery, there is shalom. Here, the peoples of the earth are in view again in that picture that we just saw as we read about it in Revelation. The peoples of the earth, they are in view again just as they were in the psalm. But there is a difference in how the peoples of the world are talked about in Revelation. Here, the vision is fuller and richer. Here, Giving glory to God in worship, that's the same thing that the psalmist said, right? Giving glory to God in worship is is, is part of this passage in Revelation. But here, giving glory to God in worship is inseparable from humans coming into our own glory as God's divine image bearers. The picture of what God wants for human beings that is pictured so beautifully here in Revelation as coming to pass. It it reminds us of of this passage from St. Irenaeus. We often have quoted here his lovely maxim that the glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. Fully alive to our creative gifts, enlivened to love others as we've been loved by God. There is a way to be human by living into the joy of Jesus' self-giving love that brings out the glory of human beings. God takes your humanity so seriously, more seriously than you do, more seriously than I do. And, And God has worked it out in the secret councils and the mystery of the councils of the Holy Trinity. God has worked it out. God, the creator who redeems, has worked it out so that his glory, his glory is inseparable from your glory. Your glory as a human being, what you bring to God as you flourish, as you were intended to flourish as a human being, is part of God's glory. Because God, the creator, is not different than God, the redeemer. God redeems because God creates. God loves because God creates. God creates because God loved. God redeems because God loves. We catch glimpses of human glory that brings glory to God. We catch glimpses of this don't we, when we experience an artist or a musician at work, enriching the world with their gifts of images, songs, performance, and and what have you. We catch a glimpse of human glory when a child experiences the joy that comes with their initial forays into team sports or the first time they pick up a pen and draw a picture They look at it and they're so happy. Maybe when the light bulb goes on and they're doing math even. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Catch a glimpse of human glory there. You see it when two friends 
are at coffee and they're talking about their joy, their, 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 their trials and their joy, their happiness and their sadness. Maybe they're talking about a diagnosis that one of them received that wasn't great news. It's life, right? And their eyes meet in an acknowledgement that there's a history of friendship there. And, and there's hope in the midst of sadness when there is sadness, and there's a look from one friend to another that says, our friendship counts before God, and I am here you. I'm, I'm here with you and near you through thick and thin. A glimpse of human glory, of human flourishing. You get a glimpse of it in dinner parties where, where meaningful conversations occur in the context of great food and, and great wine and the like. And importantly, we catch glimpses of this vision of a glorified humanity when we, particip when we participate in worship. It was, wasn't my kid. I, I was delighted when my kid walked up and grabbed a microphone Last week, was, uh, everybody's in a circle, improvised singing, improvised music, microphones on the floor. People would walk up, grab the microphone, and read a portion of Psalm 86, each one intoning it differently, uniquely in their own, whatever spoke to them, right? And it wasn't, I loved it when Palmer picked up one, but this is not about Palmer, this is about another kid who remained nameless. When I saw that kid pick it up, I don't know why I've known this kid. Baptized? You know, I, I baptized this, this child, as I've had the privilege to do for many kids at Grace. And when he picked up the mic, for some reason in that instant, I thought, that is what participating in worship is. Is we, we are actually throwing our bodies into it. We're here. We're present, we're accounted for. We come to the table and we're met by Jesus. We're present, we're accounted for. We lift our voices and, and, and some of our voices are, are better than others. You know, but, but we sing out these, these anthems of hope. You know, we can sing, take me out to the ballpark in hope. And we hope that that hope does not disappoint, even though last night happened. Okay, Cubs fans, be of great hope. But back to something serious. Um, we sing out anthems of hope because that's who we are as people. We have voices. We need encouragement. We need enthusiasm. In worship, we participate with the wholeness of ourselves and when that happens, these words come to life from Scripture. These promises take on their transcendent magnificence and they become to us durable. And, and, and we can believe that God's love is really tireless in the face of 
so, so much rebellion against him. I was listening to an interview with a singer-songwriter just yesterday, and uh, he was saying, you know, when I write songs, I write songs to figure things out, to figure things out. And I thought to myself, I can relate to that guy. One person asked me one time, when you sit down and write, you probably have an outline, right? You know, you know where you're going to start and you know where you're going to end up. I said, no. <laughs> when I sit down, I have no idea what I'm going to write. You know, I sit down, I write to try to figure stuff out. And that made me think about what I was going to say today. Um, hopefully it might be a hook to help us, you know, take a pause and think about what it means to fully participate in worship. Worship is like that. It, it helps us figure it out. You know, we come and we have bought into false narratives of of what it means to be human. And we come to this table and we sing and we greet each other in the name of the peace of Christ. And those narratives are interrupted. And we figure it out. We're reminded of what it means to be a human being. Worship helps us. It helps us sort it all out. Repointing us to our true north, our true identity as God's children who are meant to be glorious. There's no surprise to us that in the opening chapters of the letter to the Hebrews, from which we had our first lesson this morning before communion, it should be no surprise to us that in a letter that is focused on the significance and importance of Jesus' humanity, that in that letter, Jesus is envisioned as the one who leads us into our glory and who leads us into our worship. Did you catch that in the reading from Hebrews? Jesus, as a human being, you know, he leads many children to glory. <laughs> he leads many children to glory. And in the midst of the congregation, he praises God with them. He praises God with them. The author of Hebrews puts on the lips of Jesus the words of a psalm, and the words of the prophet Isaiah in order to vividly bring to view what is happening when we worship God. Jesus is enabling our worship. Jesus is leading our worship. Jesus leads us to recognize what our true north is, what our true identity is, and helps us to live into the glory we were made for. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Again, I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. Jesus is our choir director. Jesus is our worship leader. Jesus brings many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus cares about your glory as a human being. Jesus cares that you flourish as a human being. You know what? And it works a little bit like this. When we worship with Jesus, he interrupts the stories that we settle for that diminish our humanity. And he reminds us that we are made to be glorious and to do glorious things. When we worship with Jesus, he interrupts the stories we settle for 
that diminish our humanity. And he reminds us that we're made to be glorious and to do glorious things. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to confess that our ideas of what constitutes glory are often distorted and shaped by false narratives. And those false narratives are often around money, sex, and power. You know, just a few brief examples. Military might is portrayed as glorious, but only when we're reconciled to our enemies in mutual submission to Jesus can the glory and beauty of human beings shine through. The acquisition of material possessions is often portrayed as as glorious, but only when wealth and power are used to help the poor and those on the margins can we see the glory of human beings fully on display. And when we think about the arena of sexuality, and I tread carefully here because so many of us have, we hear that word sex and it brings up a whole host of hurts from the past and anxieties even about the present and fears for the future maybe. You know, but it's such a big part of being human. I feel like when we're talking about false narratives, it's a good thing to look in that direction. Sex can so easily become a tool of manipulation. And we've heard that so much in the news recently, haven't we? That's obviously wrong, and and it's uniquely odious when that happens. But, But sex can also beckon us like a drug that we turn to, even if just in our minds, in illicit ways, and and oftentimes absurdly when we're, of all things, lonely. Fighting these false narratives around money, sex, and power, that's full-time work. And you know what? It can feel exhausting. And I think it feels exhausting because we are usually doing it under our own power and under our own strategies. And that's the mistake. Jesus is not exhausted. Jesus is not exhausted. Jesus does not fail. And and when we throw our bodies into a fuller participation in worship, as we did last week, and as we did this morning here, when we throw our whole selves into worship, we find ourselves singing with Jesus the anthem of God's tireless love for us. And we are carried with Jesus into a deeper experience of being human where we refuse to settle for cheap substitutes of glory, for imitation, ersatz glory. We taste real glory and worship. And the more we taste it, the more we want it. And God does not disappoint. God gives us more. God meets us and gives us more. Go forth in that promise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.